0: Welcome to Full Stack Health, the podcast exploring the intersection between tech and health. I'm Amberly, And I'm Kurt. And we are so excited to be bringing you our first full episode today. We're starting off taking a broad look at the intersection of tech and mental health.
1: First, we're talking with Jamin and Carrie Ferguson, the co-organizers of Anxiety Tech, which is a one-day conference focused on tech and mental health. Jamin is the lead front-end engineer at a wellness company called Thrive, and Carrie is an author, writing a lot about her personal experience with obsessive-compulsive disorder. She also runs a children's bookstore in Washington State.
0: And then later, we're talking to Dr. Danielle Ramo, a clinical psychologist by training, and currently the research director at Hope Lab, which is a social innovation lab designing science-based technologies to improve the health and well-being of teens and young adults. She's speaking at Anxiety Tech this year, and we'll chat with her about her approach to hacking mental health and the solutions they're hacking on at Hope Lab.
1: We really appreciate you checking out this first episode. And now let's go ahead and dive in.
0: All right, today we are so excited to be talking to Jamond and Carrie Ferguson. Uh, welcome, y'all, thanks for thanks for chatting with us.
2: Thanks for having us. We're excited.
0: Um, just to start off, uh, would y'all just introduce yourselves? Sure, I am
2: Carrie Ferguson,
3: uh, and I'm Jamin Ferguson,
2: <laughs> and we are we we are co-organizing Anxiety Tech. Um, basically, I have um, obsessive compulsive disorder, and so that's how we kind of got really into mental health pretty pretty fast <laughs> in our relationship. Um, I had to, you know get get help for that and it was a really a hard strain on our family and Jamin was really supportive because he has a lot of mental health issues in his family as well so he was really understanding and um yeah I
3: yeah I that's that. how we kind of got into it It's kind of uh, back to the introduction part though yeah. um let's see let's tell us a little bit about yourself uh, has a blog that she writes occasionally called faithandanxiety.com that she mm-hmm. works on. Um, she also runs a children's bookstore.
2: Yeah. Um, so That's
3: we exciting. have a lot of fun things <laughs> that we work on. And then I um, I worked, I, I recently, uh, well, I was for five years working at PayPal as like a UI engineer and then recently got a job leading um, front end at this uh, wellness company called Thrive.
1: Awesome. Very cool. Well, we're super excited to have you here uh, speaking with us today. Um, and so, I guess, you know, let's uh, just lead off a little bit. You mentioned something about Anxiety Tech, which is a conference coming up in New York. Um, yeah. And I believe that's in August, correct?
2: It is. It's August 23rd in New York City. And Microsoft is hosting the space. So, we're really excited to come. We did last year, we had one in San Francisco, and that was awesome. But now we're going to the East Coast. So, yeah
1: would you uh like to maybe tell us like so how did anxiety tech come to be uh and i mean i'm sure it's related to uh you know right. issues around you know mental health and and ocd but i'm just curious like what made you say let's start this conference you know <laughs> right. and let's let's do tech and mental health let's right. Make that happen. right
3: yeah um i'll comment on that so Well, first of all, Carrie has an event planning background. She used to. She has this degree from BYU in recreation management and worked for like as an event planner. And so Mm -hmm. doing events, um, I, of course, organized like being involved in tech for a super long time. Like when I was at PayPal, I was always organizing like internal conferences and JavaScript events. And so um, events are something that are important to us and something that we sort of have, I don't know, a connection with. I attend a lot of conferences, go to a lot of concerts, things like that. So I guess it was when when we were sort of once Carrie got help for her her anxiety challenges that she really kind of dealt with like undiagnosed properly for Mm -hmm. like 10 years but once we started getting help for that and like realizing wow isn't it amazing how much better (laughs) things can be we sort of kind of wanted to like share like hey it's right. awesome when you get help for problems like isn't that cool and so we, 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 we we've been to some of the anxiety
2: yeah, we went to um the annual ocd um conference that iocdf puts on and we we got really excited because they had like some technology um panels or talks and Jamin was really excited because he's a programmer so he's like oh let's go see what they're doing and it was just like so depressing.
3: <laughs> yeah I mean overall the, the, the conference conferences was were really yeah. great tons of great great therapists and speakers but when it came to the tech aspect especially it sort of became apparent that there was a lot, um, a lot of technology that wasn't that was available in the tech world that wasn't being shared with people in the mental health space and right. sort of uh, to me, it became clear like, wow, there should be like a mental health technology conference.
0: So really quickly, what does I, you said IOCDF, what does that stand for?
2: That is the International OCD Foundation. And so, yeah, they're a really great resource for anyone who has obsessive compulsive disorder, um, they have, yeah, they have great resources. They do an annual conference every year. I think we have a few of them coming to Anxiety Tech this year, so that's exciting too. A few of their staff, <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, hopefully, they'll bring back some of that too to um, the conference that they have. <laughs>
3: yeah, and I'll just throw out there like, um, but they're for, great yep. for people out there dealing with mental illness. Um, and obviously, there are a lot of us, there are a lot of these organizations um, that that exist that mm-hmm. are sort of big international organizations that put on events that are really helpful and you know if you're if you're someone dealing with depression or anxiety or you know a whole host of them i I definitely recommend like checking out what's out there um beyond you know just maybe a local therapist it's sometimes it's really powerful to see sort of what what are the leaders in -hmm. this space talking about because it might be different than sort of what your local um people are are discussing
0: yeah so it sounds like a really a combination of your jam and your tech Background and recognizing this sort of gap in the right. conversation from the mental health side of it, the mental health right. space. Was yeah. there a particular thing that helped you carry in this journey that y'all were talking about um, that made you want to surface, particularly the connection between or the opportunity in the mental health space with tech?
2: Yeah, well, I think it's, I think originally we were kind of looking at, you know, a lot of, you know, there's a lot of great psychologists and therapists, but. Yeah, they're not like so up to date on the technology that's that's there to use, and it's hard for them to get training on that. And I think that's originally why one of our ideas for anxiety tech was almost more for mental health professionals to be able to find out what was going on in the tech industry so that they could use different technologies in their practice. Like one of my um, my therapists here in, in Portland, he was starting to get into or wanted to get into VR because um, there's certain... You know, challenges that people have, like they're afraid of flying or they're afraid of spiders or, or, or vomiting or different things like this, that you can't really do exposures, as we call them, because it's like you can't mm-hmm. just think, like, I'm just going to go take an airplane flight two times this week to work on my fear of flying, you know, cause it's just cost prohibitive, but with VR, you you can, you can, you know, it's it's immersive and, if, and it's like you're taking that airplane flight. So that's really what the original, I think concept was, was to, to bring these two industries together. And so, yeah, I was inspired by, by my therapist and by different things that I was seeing there. Um, but then as we started planning and reaching out to the tech community, we found that there were a lot of people um, who wanted to talk about the mental health in the tech community, like programmers facing burnout or stress or anxiety, different things like that. So that's kind of changed our, our vision a little bit for the conference. And we incorporated a lot more of that. And so that's why this year, we have two tracks, basically, um, one that's more um, focused on the technology that is helping mental health um, issues. And then another one with which kind of focuses on the mental health. Of, of the tech industry and of the workers and, and people there and
3: the, and the products that we're building.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so it, it just seems like almost like kind of the perfect storm that happened Damon with your background and then Carrie <laughs> right. you know, with your issues and like recognizing yeah. that space. I, I wanted to kind of sidestep a little bit and mm-hmm. just ask um, how, how difficult has it been dealing with being so public and vocal um, about your issues with anxiety uh and like what you know did it take a while for you to get comfortable before like you said hey let's have a conference and like i'm gonna start I a was blog just curious if you could maybe talk about that for a second
2: sure yeah so like jamon said i kind of went for about 10 years without really knowing what was going on or accepting what was going on um with myself and being like i don't need to get help i don't need to get help um and then finally um I, something, you know, just clicked and I kind of had a big breakdown as, as probably a lot of people mm-hmm. with mental illness can relate to, you know, things just build up and then suddenly everything implodes. And I knew that I, I had to get help because I couldn't, I just, I couldn't function anymore. And so like, that was a really, really difficult time. And eventually I, I don't know, I had a personal blog and I wrote a little bit about that and I got a lot of, um, on that blog was just, you know, friends and family. And I got a lot of positive response from people, you know, who who related to that. And, um, and then we moved um, to the Portland area. And uh, there was a friend who, well, someone who became my friend who came up and she said, you know, I read your I kind of blog stalked you, you know, as we do <laughs> in our, in, in our uh, society today. And she said, um, you know, I have similar issues. And so we, we developed this relationship based on, you know, talking about our mental health with each other. And I think that was kind of like the first time I really talked about it openly with someone who wasn't in my immediate family, really. And and just, I saw that other people were dealing with this, but no one was really talking about it. And specifically in our, in our faith and our religion. And so I started this blog, you know, specifically about religion and anxiety because I felt like it wasn't discussed very much. And it got a lot of, you know, positive... People, people really resonated with it because it wasn't being discussed. And yeah, it's, it is hard. It's really difficult to write about. And I started writing for The Mighty, which is this great website that deals with, you know, mental health and physical disabilities and got a lot of response, you know, great positive feedback about that. And then eventually I I wrote a book about my experience and got that published. And so I think it was really the book, which is called The OCD Mormon. Um, and so it was really that book after that. um, I was like, we should do a conference because so many people want to talk about this and I'm getting so many comments on the blog and different things. And, you know, this needs to be something that we talk about because people obviously, um, you know, want, want and need help. Yeah, <laughs> and, it needs uh, to be sort
3: of a forum to deal with those issues. And I'll, I'll yeah. comment a little bit on the tech side. Like, <clears throat> you know, as Carrie as mentioned before, we, we didn't really go into it thinking about like the problems of tech workers, you know, no, yeah, I was sort of <laughs> thinking more about, You know, I literally started on a little bit of my anxiety tech journey by trying to make um, like virtual reality using the What was called React VR at the time? I was like, I'm gonna use React VR and I'm gonna make exposures for Carrie to like simulate like situations that would cause her stress, so that she could put herself in those. And I was really, really bad at it. And I thought, well, maybe other people (laughs) like know how to do this better than me because I'm really bad at making virtual reality, apparently. Um, And 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 like you said, as we as we started talking to people in the tech community, there was interest in that side. But so many more people said, hey, we have a story we need to tell about how we're dealing with depression, burnout, anxiety. Um, yeah. and, and, a whole host of other, you know, challenges in, in tech. Yeah.
2: So yeah, it's really difficult. I think for people to, um, to tell their story in many cases, as you know, which is getting back to the, the question, but I feel like when people hear other people tell their story, it, it enables them to, to open up and it enables them to be like, Whoa, I am dealing with that too. And that was like my first experience in, in therapy and in group therapy. Uh, everyone kind of just introduced themselves and said like what their problems were and what they were dealing with. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, like I've dealt with so many of these things. And I didn't realize that that was OCD. I just thought that was just me, you know? And so being able to discuss and to hear other people's stories is so meaningful.
0: Yeah. I really love that these conversations are happening more openly. Um, I mean, I also didn't talk about it super openly online for a long time, like Kurt and started posting a little bit more about when I was struggling more with depression and everything, that's just an ongoing, ongoing process. And yeah, I think opening up those conversations and contributing to the destigmatization is so important.
2: Right.
3: And also just throw out there, like, one thing that is hard is that when people recognize they have a problem, actually going from that stage to getting real help <laughs> yes. like, can be super daunting. Obviously, admitting and finding you have a problem is, is important because there are yeah. a lot of resources, but ultimately getting the, r- the help and the right kind of help can be super hard. And that's why I think so tech has a huge role hard. to play, whether it's just sort of discovering, you know, good um good options for support whether that's online or group or in person but also um potentially hopefully new technologies that will actually like help people specifically whether it's you know the vr stuff we talked about or um you know chat therapy you know chat bots like Wobot and all there's just a lot of things that that may be able to help that i think we're starting to catch a little bit of insight into and obviously there's been a lot of um I know a lot of a big upsur upt uptick upsurge. I don't know a big surge in investment and interest and in, in finding yeah. solutions because this is such a um, these problems are are so universal.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I uh, just a, a slightly a slightly different thought. I read in one of your articles that you have the impression that. Um, many professionals in the mental health space aren't aware of, or what caught my eye was even skeptical of mm-hmm. the capacity that tech has to help. And yeah. I was thinking about that when you were talking about, it has the um, potential to sort of lower the barrier to finding help help. Like mm-hmm. it can be more daunting to call someone or to like try to meet someone in person. But if you can do it from your phone or your computer, that can make mm-hmm. it less daunting. Um Given that, why do you think, why do you have this impression that mental health professionals are sort of skeptical?
3: I mean, I'm happy to talk about that. Yeah, I think I think the and again, there's there's many different mental health professionals that are super mm-hmm. excited about this stuff. But I will say that as a group, right, they they really want to make sure they're helping people, and and you're mm-hmm. not and you're not giving them sort of false hope, or you're not giving people um, you know uh, things that are sort of vaguely going to help them, but not really gonna take them to where they need to be. The this, the type of therapy that therapists give, you know, whether it's cognitive behavior therapy or some of these um, um, acceptance mm-hmm. commitment therapy, these are sort of proven, well-understood, science-backed right. things that work. The problem is they work for just a tiny percentage of people that, that have access to, to that right. type of care. And so what technology is trying to do is find ways to give more people access to that quality of care. But in reality, mm-hmm. many of those tech solutions aren't really as good as, you know, sort of the, the, the premier alternative, which is like traditional therapy, which is doing very well yeah. um, and, 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 the mental health space. And so it's, it's like, I think there's valid reasons for skepticism because you, you get sort of arrogant tech people saying like, Oh, I'm going to solve depression, you know, with an <laughs> app, you know, and people are like, Oh really? Like, you know, good luck yeah. with that. But the truth is there are some things that are really working and mm-hmm. people are doing some great research um, but, but yeah, I, 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 I kind of appreciate the skepticism mm-hmm. and, and also like, cause because I think, oh, there's so much to it. The, the, the other thing too, that I'll mention is because of how long it takes, I mean, yeah. th- to get certified, to become like a mental health professional, many of the people that are mental health professionals, um, like the therapists that, that we're aware of, that we work with are not of sort of growing up using technology every day. They're right. less likely to be familiar with Um, you know, the latest tech, the internet, smartphone stuff that that people maybe sort of millennials and younger are very familiar with. Mm -hmm. And so it's some of it's kind of a generation gap.
2: I think a lot of the millennial younger generation who maybe want to get into being therapists or things are, are almost daunted by how long it takes to become like an actual psychologist or things like that. And you see a lot, at least I've been seeing a lot more of, you know, like, licensed social workers or different things who who they're not they're not PhDs they're not like psychologists but they're mental health professionals you know they have all these I don't even know all the acronyms that they have now but um (laughs) you know um so you're actually you know I I feel like we're seeing less psychologists and which is you know it's just uh, that's the way it is it's fine but um so yeah like Jamin said there is this generational gap and, um, so yeah, it's, it's difficult and there is something to be said about, you know, going to therapy and, and talking to a real person versus talking to like a chat bot and just, you know, like, is the, is AI really is, as good as a real person? These kind of, you know, no, no, like, no like, yeah. like, like, it's
3: definitely not, but, but,
2: but so, so there's, there's but, excitement yeah.
3: there. And there's also a challenge there.
2: Um, but like, yeah, but like you said, there's just, there's not enough therapists to go around for all the people who have mental illnesses and mental health problems. And like you said, it's, it's daunting to call someone, um, you know, or, or to go in real life to make, and make an appointment. And then even if you get that courage, um, like they might not call you back for like two months or ever because they're so busy. And, and so it's like you, you put out the effort and then nothing happens and you, you don't get the help because they, they just can't you know, there's too course, many people, so many people yeah, yeah, who need help. And, uh, yeah, I get comments from, you know, people all over, you know, just like how do I find a therapist and my kid, you know, ha- I think they have OCD, but they can't, we can't get into a therapist because there's no one around or they're too busy. And so I think technology could definitely help with some of these, um, issues, you know, and some of these people who can't get into help or can't find help in their area at all. Period.
1: Yeah. I, I, Completely agree with that. And I mean, you literally just uh, said what my experience was when I decided that, oh, I need to see like a therapist. I need to see a professional, you know, trying to do this on my own clearly is not working. Uh, And So like about three quarters of the way through 2018, I started this process. And another thing I want to touch on that was a huge blocker was insurance. Oh, yeah. uh, I would I would search and find a therapist who I felt comfortable even reaching out to because that alone is hard enough. And then it's not in network. And, you know, so now it's like either two hundred and fifty dollars per visit Jeez. or I have to start my search all over again and try and find someone who my insurance will take. If I even have insurance that covers something like that. Yeah. Huge blocker. And it's it's just sucks because people who suffer from depression are also the ones most likely to after even getting the courage to have an initial effort, mm-hmm. to then give up. Right. Like that's that's right. part of the actual symptoms of it, right? Like I'm not going to continue to push right. forward. It's like I'm just going to sink further into depression and be like, Oh great, I can't even get a therapist. Yeah
2: exactly exactly or yeah and like you said just who you feel comfortable calling and then like what if you do meet them and you don't connect with them or you don't like them and then you're then you're back at square one you so know it's hard. so hard to to find a good re- working relationship with a therapist
3: i mean when carrie was it's, having kind of her, oh. when carrie was having like a really bad sort of spiral a couple of years ago it was like I she wasn't in any state to call anybody like she wasn't calling a <laughs> the therapist like I was literally calling the therapists and they're funny. all like, you know, we were looking at, you know, um, uh, sort of, you know, tr- tr- treatment programs where you sort of stay there for a couple of days. And those are all booked for months ahead of time. But realistically, uh what's happening right now is that there's not enough mental health professionals to help all the people that are struggling and yeah. so what tech is looking to fill that gap is to sort of scale that out And in many cases it's not giving them you know full-on therapy but it's providing them with some help they can at least or even just sort of like more information so that they yeah. can or, understand yeah. the problem
2: um, emergency you know. care for those like months that you're <laughs> waiting to get into the therapist yeah. something, that, something <laughs> to help whatever. you while you're waiting
3: to get the professional yeah
2: care
1: yeah. yeah i mean that'll that makes a ton of sense. And it seems like there's a ton of room there. I'm curious to know also, like, are what other ways do you feel that technology could help? Like, it seems like, you know, through placement, or like you said, assistive care, or augmented care, if you will, um, you talked about VR and, and immersion and b- being able to recreate situations, which was something I never thought about, but that's absolutely genius. What, what other things really stand out to you that people are doing or talking about? Um, yeah,
3: oh wow well there's so much interesting innovation happening in this space i mean uh i'll I'll kind of just quickly go through a couple things so one concept is teletherapy it sounds super obvious like Oh, instead of going in person, like we'll do a Skype call or something like that. But mm-hmm. actually, figuring out how to do that well is, has been a big and it's, challenge.
2: It's hard, just with um, even legal requirements in oh. different states, and you know, <laughs> every state
3: is sort of different legal requirements. You can't really do therapy across state lines. I mean, I mean, so yeah. there are a lot of challenges in making that work. Teletherapy is is going to help a lot of folks. There's there's a lot of technology innovation around finding you. Um, I can't remember what it's called, like precision medicine or something like that, but it's it's like finding you the exact person that's going to help you for your problems. Because mm-hmm. one of the things about, um, you know, anxiety disorders and mental health issues is that like you can go to the wrong uh, the person yeah. without the credentials and they won't really be able to help you. Maybe they'll prescribe you some medication, maybe they'll do this or that, but they're not really going to be able to um, help you get to the root of the problem that you're right. dealing with. And so, fi- you know, all sorts of technology that can help you better diagnose the problem and and like find the right person to help you just to sort of connect you with the right mental health professional could be really powerful mm-hmm. um there's a lot of on the on the treatment side we mentioned virtual reality which is really cool um th- there's a lot around apps that do cognitive behavior therapy which is mm-hmm. a popular type of therapy for a lot of anxiety disorders and. And there's different ways that can be a chatbot. That can be um, some something that like reminds you. Basically, the idea is that it challenges you to um, mm-hmm. to sort of like if you're worried about something, it sort of challenges you to like like what's the worst thing that could happen, and challenges you to try and do the hard thing that you're sort of scared of yeah. um, to, to realize that it's not going to be so bad. And so there's yeah. there's a lot of apps that try to do that now, and a lot of um, work that's going in there
2: uh wearables yeah there's
3: wearables to sort of detect when you're having problems but but i think ultimately this whole space is so new that i don't think like the the big solution or big answer has really happened yet i think that people are oh there's even like virtual reality like art therapy and sort of more more sort of um interesting things that are happening there besides yeah. just like exposing people to scary things.
2: And I mean, there's, there's also training that, that, you know, doctors or people who are interested in becoming mental health professionals can do online. Like I did an online course on cognitive behavioral therapies, so I could learn more, you know, to help other people as well. So there, you know, there's also trainings that, that happen online. Yeah. So- and
3: of course, like all the mindfulness and meditation apps, like Calm yeah. and Headspace and stuff like that. Um, and 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 of course, plenty of um, yeah. I mean, there's a million things going on in tech with, with regard to this stuff. Uh, there, there's uh, medication reminders. I mean, there's there's so many more things. I'll also mention, sorry to, to, to keep piling on this list, is an, another, <laughs> another aspect is, that we haven't got to yet, and I don't know that we'll have tons of time to get into, is how is technology affecting our mental health. So kind of <laughs> yeah. kind of the reverse, not technology to help us, but how is the technology like social media and, yes, um, yeah. and mobile and everything affecting our mental health negatively? And so mm-hmm. some of the speakers that we invited to speak uh, both last year and this year are talking about how do we build technology that's less stressful, you know, calm technology right. or, or technology that's more emotionally aware that um, can detect our emotions and, and ba- maybe better understand us so that it can um, serve us more effectively.
0: Going back to anxiety tech just a little bit, um, yeah. I was thinking yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I started my career in the nonprofit area, and we had this sort of constant sense that our our community was really engaged, but really insular. Uh, like in a lot of ways, it was like preaching to the choir with the same the same people attending the same events and conferences and things like that. Um, I'm curious if you have any thoughts on how you're trying to Uh, broaden the interest in something like anxiety tech or other people doing similar things, how you're trying to broaden that.
3: It's really hard. I mean, okay, so last year we got this venue for 700 people. We were very (laughs) ambitious. And we're like, this is so important. Everyone Everyone is going to be there. And we probably sold 100 tickets. And then like, (laughs) um, you know, we had another 50 uh, sort of volunteers or speakers or or other um, things like that. And so we probably had 150 people last year. And, you know, it was a great group, like legitimately, like some really really, interesting folks. Um, we are looking at partnering with another group called Hack Mental Health. Uh, Stephen and Anne, who are the co-founders of that group, are are going to be speaking at our conference this year. They set up these hackathons around mental health, mostly sort of around college campuses. But they have been getting hundreds of people at their event. I mean, there are for me, because I'm like a programmer I'm in the JavaScript community, when I first uh, last year, when we first held this thing, I made this article in Medium about Kind of about why I thought we needed a mental health technology conference, and how it kind of reminded me of the first time I went to JSConf, which is a popular JavaScript conference a couple years ago, and I met all these uh, people that were doing things, and it really inspired me mm-hmm. to to do you know to be my very best in um, in JavaScript land. And I I felt like you know I was hoping that this would be a thing that inspired people to to really like think about like what are they doing in tech? Are they contributing to making like people more stressed out, more anxious, more push notifications, cramming down your phone. Or are they contributing to making a technology that's really helping people, or at least like contributing more to society? So I, I kind of thought of it um, in some ways as like a personal journey of like how can I, how can we inspire people to to use their amazing skills that they've learned in this crazy industry to to add more good to the world and solve some real human yeah. problems.
2: Yeah, and I mean it is difficult to try and. Um expand the group, I guess. And we've just been really grassroots (laughs) going out, I guess, just trying to snowball, you know, getting different Twitter followers. And I mean, people, yeah, we'd love to get the word out even more. I mean, we get people like, I never knew this existed. This is so amazing. And, you know, and so as people share and on Twitter and different, you know, social media, you know, apps and stuff about anxiety tech, that will definitely help. And, he like said, we'd love to, or I'd love to at least get more of the mental health industry in as well. Like we're pretty good with the tech users because they're using the technology. Uh, <laughs> yeah, frankly,
3: they're using Twitter. Frankly, the, <laughs> I know. the people yeah. that love our conference the most, at least last year, and I think this year, it's it's the same as design and UX people because I yeah. think they fundamentally are thinking about how does this technology affect the user? And so there's there's a lot, of, we had a lot of interest, uh, a lot of folks from Apple last year from mm-hmm. doing design or working on uh, some of their Apple health stuff. We had a lot of people this year already who are coming that I know have a design and UX background. And so, I don't like I don't know about all these communities. I literally am yeah. fairly stuck in my JavaScript world. And so um and and like you know, I don't. I don't have a huge reach or, or a huge following or anything like that. So I would say, yeah, we're struggling to figure that out. We're trying to bridge with other people doing similar things, mm-hmm. um, as much as possible, like yourselves and others. But ultimately, I think each time we have this event, I think it it just grows organically, and I think yeah. that's frankly the way that it's going to work. It's just going to grow organically until, like, yeah. literally, it's like seven thousand people.
2: Yeah, and I think that's why we're also trying to go to different parts of the the u.s and hopefully we're we're trying to do london next year because we have a lot of you know european and and people in the uk who are like we want to be a part of this so you know just as we go to different places hopefully the people in those places will be aware and then we're just building the community yeah very very organically it's very difficult
3: aka slowly (laughs) slowly By step. I don't know. If that's a good answer to your question. The, the answer is we don't know. We're we're struggling with that. <laughs> we're bad.
0: Well, it was kind of it was kind of a gotcha because I think that's a problem with most communities. It's something that a lot of people try to tackle. We
3: they learned start. last year that that unless your company is directly in this space you're not likely to get your employer to pay for you to go to anxiety tech because it's not like contributing enough to people's like job that they're going to be like, you know, many people, many tech workers have get, get, you know, are allowed to maybe go to one conference a year, if that. And so, you know, for them that, you know, in JavaScript, they're looking at, you know, fluent for or JS comp or, you know, react rally, um, which I think is at the same time as anxiety tech this year, one of these types of conferences. And so um, what we learned is like people are oftentimes paying for this out of pocket. So we've got to make it um, affordable for them. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so they're more likely to come.
0: It's funny that you mentioned react rally because that's where Kurt and I met in person for the first time. And I was also totally going to go to anxiety tech and it happens to, I'm going to react rally this year and Kurt is not, but yeah.
3: It's a good conference and you know, I don't know. Jameson, I, I know I know Jameson, he's awesome. So
1: yeah, good. no, I I just wanted to real quick say one thank you for putting this on and putting this together. There's a lot of people who need it. I know it must be a ton of work and really difficult to do. Um yeah, and so I think it's just amazing that you all are, are trying to make a difference in this space and really help people. Um yeah, and I mean it's been amazing uh having you on here and talking with us and we appreciate it so much
2: you are welcome thanks
3: yeah (laughs) um boy i'll just i'll just say this like if you're interested in mental health and technology if you want to learn more about helping people in this space or if you want to learn how to like make tech less um horrible for users and people (laughs) i would love for you to try and come out to anxiety tech i know new york is far away but the conference is very inexpensive um And it's really a good, it's a good place. It's not like a fancy conference. We're not giving you like a lot of free stuff or anything cool (laughs) like that. It's just some really cool people there who are trying to make a difference in the world. Mm -hmm.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much.
0: Yeah. Thank you guys. Thank you.
3: Thanks so much, friends.
1: All right. And thank you for joining us, everybody. Uh, I'm super excited because we have here with us Dr. Danielle Ramo. Uh, Dr. Danielle Ramo is a clinical psychologist and research director at Hope Lab. So thank you so much for being with us here today. Thank you for having me. Would you like to maybe take a a minute to introduce yourself, uh, let everybody know uh, essentially who you are? Um, Yeah. Anything you wanted to add to that?
4: Sure. So you mentioned that I'm a clinical psychologist by training, and that means that I have been working at the in the fields of mental health and particularly substance abuse for most of my career. I'm uh, trained as a therapist, but I'm not currently practicing. I've been conducting clinical research since I got my PhD from UC San Diego about 15 years ago. And I was leading a research program at UC San Francisco on digital interventions to support adolescent and young adult mental health. That primarily meant using social media to try to intervene on health risk behaviors, things like cigarette smoking cessation, heavy episodic drinking, aka binge drinking, Um, but I also got real interested in understanding how health was communicated on social media. So that included everything from mental health kinds of conversations like bullying and perhaps suicidality, but also substance use. So I have some research papers, for example, in how prescription opioid misuse is being represented on Instagram or how conversations about new modes of cannabis delivery like vaping and dabbing are happening on Reddit. And that led me to think about moving this research to Hope Lab because we build uh, digital tools to support adolescent health and emotional well-being, and it felt like the perfect next step to do this work.
0: How would you describe sort of what makes Hope Lab special? Because it sounds like uh, a perfect match for what you're interested in and what you're working on, and what makes it different from other sort of labs?
4: I got lucky, frankly, that Hope Lab even existed. I was uh, leading a research lab in the Department of Psychiatry at UC San Francisco, and there are a lot of interesting things happening in digital mental health in academic medicine. Uh, But what I came to notice is that there is a lot of opportunity outside of academic medicine to make interventions that we might know work more interesting to people, more usable, and to take advantage of the amazing opportunity that social media data provide and digital data provide to understand so much about the people that are using interventions. So I had this sense that collaboration was key. I knew that uh, human-centered design was an emerging field that could help researchers think more about how to make tools that people would actually want to use and uh, incorporate a deep understanding of lived experience of users. And I started to be curious about how I might have those collaborations. So enter Hope Lab. Uh, Hope Lab, as you said, is a social innovation lab that Partners behavioral science with human centered design, as well as an understanding of market viability of digital tools, specifically as they relate to adolescents and young adults, and that is a very unique partnership.
0: That's amazing. Um, stepping back for one second, I'd be interested how you would um, how you would define human centered design for someone who maybe isn't familiar or doesn't really have a working definition of human-centered design?
4: Sure. So I am a clinical researcher by training, and I started to uh, have colleagues who would go through trainings in the process of human-centered design in sourcing information about a design process or a product directly by deeply understanding the problem itself and then innovating a solution that might be really different from the way the client or the person who has this problem has thought about it before. Uh, and may be quite different from how even experts have thought about it before so the human centered design process that was pioneered at places like Stanford and now has grown into the Stanford design School and uh, places like the IDEO design consulting firm as well as other firms help uh, people think about ha- the lived experience of uh, a person or group of people that has a problem and how the problem can be, uh, solved through multiple different channels and arenas. So they go out in the world, they experience the problem through ethnographic research procedures, they talk directly to uh, people who are related to the problem, and source creative, innovative ways to solve that problem. And that's really different from how it's done in the clinical research world. So I'm used to uh, using theory to think about a problem. let's say something like depression, uh, and starting from there. And so just kind of to uh, focus in on the one part where you say
1: social media intervention, um, can you define a little bit more like what you mean by that as far as like how you're actually using social media to like target and interact
4: with these people? Sure. So I can talk about it from my personal experience as well as what we're doing at Hope Lab. So in my own research, I've been using social media to help people make healthy lifestyle changes, and that has included quitting smoking as well as uh, trying to reduce binge drinking among 18 to 25-year-olds. So in the case of my research program, we have recruited people primarily online and delivered evidence-based treatment, treatment that we know works in a counseling setting or Line, uh, but th- we've been delivering it through Facebook secret groups. So we put people in Facebook groups who are similar in motivation. So uh, some who are motivated and ready to make changes, let's say in their cigarette smoking, go in one kind of group, and those who aren't ready go in another kind of group, and deliver intervention that's tailored to the motivational state of a given user, and then. The clinical trials that I've been running in my lab evaluate how people are engaging with these interventions, as well as whether these interventions result in health behavior outcomes that we care about, including in the case of smoking, smoking cessation. And key there is not just to ask people, are you still smoking at the end of the intervention, but actually getting biological confirmation of whether they're smoking or not. At Hope Lab, I was very excited to find that they care also about measuring the health outcomes that we want to see change among young people. And uh, they were also using social media when I came here. And uh, I've been helping to uh, enact and write up a clinical trial of a social media-based chatbot for young people with cancer. That product is called Vivabot, and I'd be happy to tell you a little bit more of it about it. Uh, it's a chatbot that's on Facebook Messenger that's available publicly, uh, so it's definitely it's online, and listeners can feel free to take a look at Vivabot if they're interested. So it is uh, tailored to young people who have undergone cancer treatment. And that's a time after treatment is over that we know is a vulnerable time for uh, young people and a time when they're often dropped. So they're not as engaged with uh, the clinical services that are available, let's say, in a hospital system. And they're coming back into the world, into their communities, their families, their social relationships in a... totally different way than when they left because they had a cancer diagnosis and they needed to undergo treatment. It's a time when young people are at risk of developing uh, anxiety disorders, depression, suicidality, and even committing suicide. So we wanted to uh, develop a tool that would be available 24-7 on a medium that young people are on all the time, and in this case, it was Facebook Messenger, delivering skills that we knew worked to improve mood among people with severe health problems. And in this case, it was positive psychology skills. So Vivabot delivers seven different positive psychology skills, uh, things like expressing gratitude, Practicing mindfulness, which is present focused attention, conducting acts of kindness, uh, and seeing the positive in a situation that might not be going so well.
1: I suffer with depression and drug addiction as well. Um, and, you know, the, from the years of like 18 to 22 or 23 is when I think I was really at my worst. And, you know, just having a way,
3: years, yeah,
1: they really are. And I, it's just so amazing um, putting this out in a way in, in which people at that age in this day and time, there wasn't Facebook messenger when I was that old. Um, but it would have been cool to have like a service that was text-based or something. Cause that was like just becoming the thing, you know, something like that. something just like a way for me to connect with people. It felt very hard to go into a hospital and seek help uh, immediately. Like it seems like such a large jump. Um, so yeah, something like this just—it seems amazing.
4: I couldn't agree more. I mean, we we landed on social media as a field after a lot of different other digital media were were tried and evaluated first, so a lot of interventions, and this goes for br- the broader field of men- digital mental health and digital substance use interventions, text message was definitely something that was tried early on and found to be effective in two ways, both to reach people who wouldn't otherwise be able to go to treatment. Let's say they're in a rural area. They don't have access to certain treatments that might be available face-to-face, or to supplement treatments. So often in mental health, things that we know work really well to improve depression symptoms, things like cognitive behavioral therapy, groups, or individual sessions, one of the key features of those interventions is doing homework. So actually working on the skills you're learning in a treatment group outside of that group. And a text message intervention or a computer-delivered intervention can help reinforce practicing those skills outside. So 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 just having that digital piece was shown to improve all sorts of mental health outcomes for interventions like CBT. Uh, but also, they were able to be available at night and on the weekends when clinicians weren't necessarily available. And now we have a whole world of apps and social media that is a means of connecting with all different kinds of people, but especially younger people, because this media is entirely integrated into their lives.
0: I love the idea of meeting people where they are. Mm-hmm. I'm curious from a research standpoint, um, have y'all evaluated the efficacy of like a chatbot response versus a real human? Like, I understand the the limitations of having a real clinician, human person on the other end of a line, be that text-based or voice-based or whatever, um, isn't realistic a lot of the time, like you said, at nights, weekends, et cetera. But purely in terms of what works, uh, do y'all have any conclusions comparing how effective, like the chatbot, is compared with an actual
4: human delivering? That that's a great question. So the field of chatbots for mental health intervention is really new, and that means that most trials, clinical trials at all, which means things that have actually randomized users to one group or another, uh, haven't yet come to the point where they're comparing engagement with a chatbot. To engagement in a similar intervention with a human. We'd love to be able to get to that point. We aren't there quite yet with Vivibot. Where we started with Vivibot was asking the question was engagement with Vivibot going to address? Uh, and have clinically significant or meaningful reductions in depression, reductions in anxiety, and improvements in mood compared to a limited engagement in the same medium. But So we started there, right, with kind of a simple uh, controlled trial to just say, are people engaging with this thing? And does it seem like it's going to impact the health outcomes we care about? An important next step is what you were getting at, is comparing the chatbot format to uh, the same kinds of positive psychology skills delivered either with a human face-to-face or with a human, let's say, over a computer. And those trials just haven't been done yet. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um,
0: I would love to sidestep a little bit. I read about you uh, being a judge at, what was it, Hack Mental Health, Mental Health Hackathon? Yes. Um, and that, and there was a line from, you wrote a reflection on it and you said, we hack mental health every day at Hope Lab. I'm wondering between hacking mental health every day at Hope Lab and hacking mental health in the hackathon like what what does that mean to you what is hacking mental health to you.
4: Well, I will say it is uh, easier for me to be able to hack mental health at Hope Lab as a full-time job uh, because I sort of hack mental health in my head almost all the time than it would be for me to be actively hacking solutions through the hackathon format uh, all the time because I was beyond impressed uh, with what solutions hackers were able to, to come up with related to mental health in a 36-hour period when I was lucky enough to be a judge at a Hack Mental Health's West Coast event in March. Um, so at Hope Lab... We are trying to come up with digital solutions that move the needle on mental health and other kinds of health outcomes related to young people. That requires a certain amount of iterating and hacking to get right that doesn't necessarily mean we're hacking in the classic engineering sense we actually don't have engineering in-house at hope lab we tend to do a lot of uh, consulting and partnering with firms that can help us build the tools that we are designing and evaluating at hope lab but we are iterating on our solutions all the time. We don't start with a mentality that we know what works and it's going to be easy to put something out in the world that people will want to use and it will work. Instead, we come at it with an attitude of uh, curiosity. Yes, expertise in the behavioral science side by saying we understand that there is a wealth of literature around a tool like positive psychology interventions, or we know what other companies are doing in the chat bot space. But we don't assume from moment one that we are going to know how to solve the problem the first time we try. And that's why I like to refer to what we do as hacking. And I think of myself as someone who is a curious a problem solver, rather than someone who is an expert, when I approach a new problem.
0: Yeah, and one of your other takeaways um, from that that I remember reading is you mentioned the. This ties back to the the human centered design uh, approach that you were talking about earlier, but the reduction of stigma, uh, uh, mental mental illness in wider culture. Is leading to more creative solutions. Um,
4: yep. Why do you why do you think that is? Well, I think the there is a real movement to reduce the stigma of mental health problems, which is generally a wonderful thing. However, in part, it's been brought on by the massive increase in the experience of some mental health problems and deep and sad consequences from mental health problems. So for example, the suicide rate among young adults is higher than it ever has been in previous years. We've done some work at Hope Lab on understanding the current state of loneliness among young people and uh, young adults age 18 to 25 are lonelier than any other generation ever has been. So there are problems like that, that mean we have to be more aware of the role mental health problems and wellness play in our society. That's a good thing that more people are thinking about it and caring about it. But unfortunately, it also means that there is a real mismatch between the experience of problems and what solutions are currently available.
1: So just to uh, touch on uh, the bit about loneliness, uh, if I remember correctly, so Hope Lab also had a project called uh, Destroy the Myth, which is the myth being that loneliness is not the same as being alone. Uh, Are there any maybe key insights or things that you learned from that project that maybe would be interesting to people in the tech community, which can also be kind of a lonely field, uh, especially for uh, developers and, and other people who might work remotely?
4: But yeah, was there anything that you th- thought might be interesting or useful to share? Sure. So, Hope Lab centered on loneliness because we found that loneliness was being experienced at unprecedented levels among uh, Gen Zers today, more so than even older adults. Loneliness was tends to be thought of as a problem of older adulthood but uh, just looking at college students in the United States, for example, a third of college students say they felt very lonely at some point in the last month, and two-thirds say they felt very lonely in the last year. So that's a lot of folks, right? A a good majority. So we, uh, we, we found it important to think about loneliness. And also there's a limited number of interventions or almost nothing out there that looks directly at how to help people be less lonely. So we uh, part of the project that you're describing was a year-long effort to delve into loneliness among young people. And it helped us to land on the focus of college as a time uh, that combines a particularly vulnerable period and one in which there's opportunity to intervene. And we are developing an app right now called Nod that is supporting uh, college students making social connections uh, in order to support their own social goals. So that could be anything from networking more, to making more friends, to feeling less isolated at a time in their lives when people often have really high expectations of what will happen in college, that they'll meet, they'll go there and they'll immediately find their tribe, make the best friends of their life. But often when they get there, it's not necessarily the experience that they expected.
1: Yeah, I can see that uh, being very true. Uh, can you maybe talk uh, just a little bit about that app? Not, I'm pretty curious just to know kind of how that would work
4: sure so nod allows users to meet their own social goals so they start out by saying that they sharing if they'd like whether they want to have a particular social goal or they can just explore building connections and we allow them to do that in two ways the first is that we give them challenges. So these are active challenges out in the world. They're kind of mini missions that encourage students in college to skillfully socialize out in the real world. So things like dare to leave your dorm room door open this whole week, or uh, walk down the campus and look five people in the eye and say hello this week. Um, Then That's sort of the external part, but there's also an internal piece that's key, which is processing setbacks with compassion, because things don't always go so well. You might look people in the eye, smile, say hi, and they don't look up from their phones right? And that can make people feel really bad. So how do you couple that external part with a piece of um, reducing the pressure that we can put on ourselves to always be perfect? So we also have reflections in the app. They're short in-app exercises that can help students uh, process social experiences after they happen um, to try to reduce the self-criticism I was talking about and build resilience so they can go out in the world and try something again. I'm curious, are these tried and true sort
0: of cognitive reframing techniques and y'all are exploring, primarily exploring the
4: delivery method? with this app? Great question. It's more about access. So a lot of digital health interventions have the luxury of being able to start with, we know what works and we just want to put the thing in a new medium and figure out whether that actually works. So that's what we did actually with our Vivabot intervention. We knew positive psychology skills already had promise uh, and were able to change health uh, behaviors and mental health before we came at it from a chatbot medium. So the key question there is, will this medium actually be engaging and be effective for users with Nod in the loneliness space? It's a little different. There really aren't interventions for loneliness. So we couldn't start with what works in, in the loneliness space and just put it in an app and see whether people will use it. We are sourcing our content from interventions that we know work to help people improve the way they think about situations. So that is interventions like cognitive behavioral therapy, as well as compassion-based interventions that do already have some efficacy around other mental health problems. But to be honest, we're creating something really new because the science of loneliness is fairly new in and of itself. And, and I also think, as you kind of alluded to in your question earlier around loneliness in the tech industry being high, we're also seeing it at unprecedented rates among a generation that's also digitally connected and more comfortable than ever sharing things that are very personal in an environment for everyone to see. So I know that we're quick, too quickly running out of time. Uh, one thing I
0: really, really wanted to chat about was um, something that I find super important. Uh, one of the things that, again, I read in your writings was about uh, cultivating a culture where failure is not just acceptable, but fundamental to eventual success. And to me, this is so important because it's, it's really critical, particularly in the tech community, relating to uh, a lot of people suffer from imposter syndrome. Um, can you talk a little bit about the shift to
4: thinking of failure as critical for success? Yeah. Sure. And actually it might be an interesting lens to think about because as a clinical psychologist, I my frame is about how our thinking about failure can influence what motivates us. Uh, to do anything, and that includes to iterate on a problem in a technology space, but also in any way in our lives. So in the motivational psychology space, we've known for a while that uh, how people think about and react to a failure situation is influences so much about whether they'll try something again and whether they'll pick up after they've failed. And a lot of interventions have been uh, influential in Helping people cultivate this idea that failure is not only the worst thing, but it's okay. It's healthy. It helps us grow. So the extent to which someone has a growth mindset, this belief that if something doesn't go well, it's because we didn't try hard enough, it helps us Try harder the next time and come up with an eventual solution that will work in so many different aspects of our lives in school settings, in uh, work settings, in our social relationships, and even with partners. So, uh, having this idea that failure is not the worst thing is helpful for us psychologically in almost every aspect of our lives. Uh, So, we kind of know that on the behavioral science side. Yeah, that makes perfect sense.
0: If you make perfection off the bat, your bar for success, you'll never succeed, period. Couldn't agree more. For sure. If you you shift it to be, I guess, make your goal the mindset or how how you'll react to things. Uh, Like you said, you called it a growth mindset later. Make the bar learning, getting something out of it. Cool. Well, I think... That is about the time that we have. Um, Was there anything else that you wanted wanted to mention? Just
4: that if people want to hear more about what we're doing at Hope Lab, please consider coming to Anxiety Tech in New York on August 23rd. And feel free to check out our website to learn more about our solutions and our process at Hope Lab. Thank you so much for the opportunity.
0: Really, really appreciate you taking the time to chat.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It was a a pleasure having you. Well, that's it for our first episode.
0: If you enjoyed the episode, we really hope you'll join us again next time. And if you know someone who you think would enjoy the show too, we would love it if you would send it to them so they can check it out.
1: Also, if you're in the NYC area, we hope you'll check out Anxiety Tech on August 23rd. The tickets are only twenty-five dollars for students and fifty in general. If you'd love to go but can't afford the ticket, DM us at Full Stack Health on Twitter. We'll give away tickets to the first four people to reach out.
0: So thanks again so much for joining us and be well, everyone.